Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. I'm Kieran van Royen. I'm the managing director of a company called Turnkeys. Um, we're a property strategy company in South Africa that um, um, we deal mostly with retailers and have for a long time, but we also do property strategy for um, end users um, and and um, sort of owners and occupiers. So um, everything from, I guess, a, um, a retailer rolling out a, a new bunch of stores to a a property owner maybe looking at their purchase options or sale options or best use of their spaces that's uh, best use of their buildings or whatever the case may be um so it's quite broad but all in the property space and um, been doing it for the last 10 12 years i guess but, um ended up there when um my acting career wasn't going so well had kids to feed and that sort of thing and it just um it just defaulted there. So yeah, that's my last 12 years. Um, yeah, I remember that KFC advert that you were in. Um, I can't remember what you used to say. It's going to bug me. What would, do you, can you remember what you used to say? Yeah. My part was the nice, but not as nice. It was the KFC ad that, um, strangely, you can do as much theater and TV as you want. Because um, I did Benanders and a couple of other things as well. But the thing that I'm most remembered for is one silly KFC ad. <laughs> I wonder if that's on YouTube or something. It is. We'll have to find that. I'm going to save you the time of even sort of going through a search. It won't take you long. It comes up. I watched it a couple of days ago with my daughter. Uh, okay, cool. Um, how you, you did a webinar recently? What was the uh, what was the sense from that, or the sentiment around the new world? So. Yeah, it was, I'll I tell you what, it was a hell of a lot more productive than I thought it was going to be. Um, we weren't certain that enough people wanted to listen to us, but, you know, we ended up, I think we've had 125 people view it so far. We had 89 live on the day um, from 11 different countries, which was, you know, um, quite nice to know that people around the world actually wanted to listen to what we had to say. So the, you know, the crux of our conversation there was basically, what are the new work boundaries? So not just your physical boundaries. So, I mean, if you take it these days, your workplace is no longer just, it's no longer just your physical office space. It's not the address that's given to your office. It's actually any place that you can do your work. And, and, you know, and, and these changes have become quite big. I know you've been doing this for years. I mean, I think when we were in varsity, you were doing this already working from coffee shops and little remote, remote locations here and there. Um, but that's, that's kind of what's happening. So there's a lot of allowances being made and, and we've been, these have been long conversations for us. We've encouraged it to our clients for quite some time, but now obviously with COVID, it's just become a, it's just become a thing. Everybody has to do it. Um, everybody has to mm. work remotely or figure out how they're going to do it. And the most, the most interesting things, which is not really from that webinar, but things that I've seen coming up since, cause we're hosting another one next week. Um, but things that I've seen coming up is, um, sort of 
um, fatigue from from video calls, um, yeah. which has been quite interesting. Just the way people are, um, you know, we're used to getting facial cues and and sort of body language stuff and whatnot. Now brains are working overtime to try and to try and figure that out. So people are getting fatigued trying to stay in these meetings. And the mm. other big thing has really been um, been your focus working, all your deep working stuff that is becoming a a bit of a task for people because. The minute you're at home, you can't switch into deep work mode. It's, it's actually, neurologically, it's not possible um, because you've got too many other things. So you're more likely to, to get into a deep workspace in a coffee shop where you actually know nobody's, strangely, as much as there's people around you, nobody's really there to come and talk to you. So a lot of people are battling with deep work stuff in their, in their houses because you know, you've got washing, looming, or dishes, or a kid, or a dog, or a mm. you know, an the lawn, or whatever it might be. So people are really battling to deep work. So it's, it's actually having a big mental effect on um, on people. Um, the I think it was 2002 that and I really stand corrected on the dates on this. Um, but after the SARS outbreak, something like 20 20 odd percent of the people um, returning to work had post traumatic stress disorder. And then I think we're going to see the same thing coming out of this, which is going to be interesting. How people have dealt with that is going to be, you know. Yeah, there's a couple of things I wanted to unpick there. So, so that that being able to work anywhere, um, I think you're right in the sense that if you go sit in a coffee shop, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I used to do it is I, as I didn't like working with music on, but I like the background noise of people talking and stuff, which is almost like white noise that helps you to focus. Uh, and then the other thing that you mentioned around deep work. I've, I mean, personally, and I think many people have found this, they're getting up earlier to, before everyone else is awake, to do those one one or two hours worth of work before the distractions start, let's say. And it's not just distractions from your family, but it's also, you know, your boss now wants to talk to you because he's awake at 7 a.m. and, you know, he's got an idea and he wants to chat. And he knows you're not commuting, so he'll just start a conversation with you because he sees that you're online. And then that, that makes your day really long because you've probably got other meetings that are booked in. And So a couple of things on that. You know, the first, not all people work well um, in the morning. Some work well in the mm. So, for example, we've picked 11 o'clock as our time to host all our webinars because from a neurological point of view, that's the best time where your morning workers and afternoon workers are kind of, you know, they're both sort of engaged. You know, it's it's the optimum time to be the audience. Loads of people work better at night. I know I'm better at night. Than, um, my wife at the moment is getting up at sort of early hours to get work done. My father always did. I mean, he was always up at sort of stupid hours, like three, four o'clock in, in the morning to get work done. So there's definitely merit in that, in, in sort of getting that stuff done before there are all the distractions. But the reality is not everybody does it the same way. Another interesting thing it's been suggested that you leave the TV on in the background um, if you're working at home because you're better off with with some sort of background noise. Yeah, as long as it's not the news. Yeah. Then what do you do for uh, getting distraction-free work done? Um. Well, I guess for me, thankfully, I don't have too many distractions. Just my cats, so um, I will shut them out, which I usually have to do a few times a day. And I'm, I'm someone, I don't think I could do the TV thing. So, uh, Karen, I don't know if we gave you any, any background on me, but, um, I do product marketing. So, um, I do a lot of writing and for me, I need total, total silence. So I have some noise canceling headphones I can throw on 
there's a loud woodpecker outside or something, but it's actually been really nice working from home for that reason, um, being able to control uh, volume more. Yeah, I think the, you know, everything sort of that I've mentioned is really largely generalizations. Look, the neuroscience is not necessarily generalizations. That's, that is what it is. But like some people deal better. Uh, you might be less distracted by your home environment than the next person. And it might be, and I find it because I'm used to working at home that for me, it's not an issue. Um, it's mm. really not a problem because I'm used to it. I've been doing it sort of on and off for 10 years. Um, mm. So for me, it's, for me, it's fine. It's the people who aren't used to it. It's the people who are used to people who are very routine based. I'm not a very routine kind of person. I don't like things to remain the same. I kind of like disruption and things constantly changing and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so for me, I don't want to be like, I get up at this time and do my washing then and, 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 and. so the disruption for me is fine. Um, and Heather, I don't know enough about you to know whether that's the same, but it might just be because you're comfortable working at home and have been so used to it over time that it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a big change. It's, it's actually just, it's not a new normal. It's the old normal. Yeah, actually, um, you know, my company doesn't have a huge work from home culture. So this is a pretty well, new the, experience. The, the irony of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but it's actually, I mean, it's been, I think it's been fairly easy for the whole company. Um, I haven't really heard of anyone having a hard time. So it seems to be should, working pretty well. We should, we should probably, I mean, most of you guys live very close to work. I mean, you're talking five, mm -hmm. 10 minutes drive. So, so to be in the office is, is, is probably the most frictionless experience that you could find. Um, I'm thinking of the Arbor office. Uh, yeah. Yeah, at least in the U.S., um, I know our, our London office might have a different experience. Yeah, they have. I mean, one guy drives two and a half hours to get there in the morning and drives three to four hours to get home that night because of the traffic. I well, just the traffic, I, at, traffic at the moment, <laughs> but traffic back then. I could not. I could not imagine. I could not do that. That's crazy. crazy. And that's a, that's a big thing that companies are going to have to look out for because we've all now experienced what it's like not having to sit in traffic. So, you know, attracting employees going forward is going to be very much about that. What is your work-life balance going to look like? Can you go and sit and um, watch your son play soccer or cricket or rugby or tennis or your daughter do ballet or the other way around, I guess? You know, will the companies allow that? Will, it, will they start looking at, at outcomes-based, um, you know, results-driven workforce rather than a time-based workforce well and i think there's a it's a give and take i mean there's going to be days where you can't go watch the football game because you're you're going to meet him with that you have to be in a quiet place we have to take notes etc but there are lots yeah. of meetings that are just you know status updates or quick calls or catch-ups whatever which you can you can do while you're watching your kid play you know whatever it is on the whatever sport it is but there's there's also this uh i mean that's integrated working which you know, it almost allows a parent to go and spend three hours with their son or, or daughter on a sunny day, but then knowing that they'll work that night because that's what suits them and mm. they can, they'll, and, and they may need, you know, half an hour, not three hours to do the work, but because they've had the headspace with their child, they're in a better place to do the work more efficiently, more effectively. I don't know how you would measure that, which I think is half the problem mm. uh, for a lot of the sort of old school management types who are looking for the, uh, what was the name? Paul Drucker, Peter Drucker, if you don't manage it, you can't measure it mindset. You know, it's, it's quite funny. The, um, 
One of the biggest buildings in Joburg at the moment was um, designed specifically purpose-built for a historical sort of an old apartheid company. Um, and they they try to sort of build this space that was very much against, uh, that, that very much sort of embodied what the new sort of work world looks like with consolidation spaces and networking spaces. And, you know, not just an office, uh, they can't, went from cellular offices into like this open plan environment, and um, which is, it's not great. Open plan is horrible. And what these guys did was they put the, they put the entire open plan facing the, the manager's office. So each line manager could see their staff. So they, all they did was retain this mentality that if I couldn't see you, you obviously weren't working. So now they've got all these consolidation spaces and or collaborative spaces rather, um, that don't get used because, you know, the manager's still going, Oh, well, I didn't see you. You couldn't have been working. So now mm. it's gone back to everything's only formal. We can only have a formal meeting because the manager knows there it's in my calendar. So, you know, the, the chance encounters and sort of just bumping into a person and having a conversation and sort of collaborate, collaborating that way, um, has died, um, or never grown in that business to start off with. Yeah. And, and that brings a big thing into, which is trust because you yeah. get your best, best work out of your people when they know that they're trusted and they're trusted to make their own decisions. They're enabled, let's say, to make their own decisions and, and make mistakes and, and all the rest of it rather than be manhandled or, or driven by, by the boss's desires on everything. So they'd become just a, a PowerPoint monkey. Yeah. Um, you know. We've, we're putting trust at the forefront of what you should be expecting out of your employer when you return to work. Because, you know, it used to be just that trust. My employee, employer trusts me to do what I need to do in a day's work and doesn't sort of micromanage me as a result. But, it, you know, the shift's now the other way around. Do I, entrust, do I trust my employer to make sure that my work is sanitary, that my best interests are looked after and that sort of thing? So, um, and it's not just got to do with COVID. It's got to do with mental health as well. Mm. Um, you know, I, I trust that you've got my best interests at heart. I trust that you've that you've kept the place sanitary and you know, that's going to be a big decision that I think that a, a big sort of choice that people are going to make when looking at employment going forward. Yeah. Karen, uh, I know, I know you touched on this in your, during your webinar, but I think it'd be really interesting um, for our audience to hear kind of some of the things that in the property space, you know, might change when, when offices do open up. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on, you know, whether offices will open up to the same degree and then some of the changes that might be coming to our offices. So I think, I think some, some offices will change. Some won't. I think there's some businesses where you actually just physically can't change the way you do business. So if you're a call center, um, the only thing you could possibly do is either have less people in your call center or have a bigger call center, right? More space. So I think it will gradually, that will go back to normal. I mean, they're limiting space at the moment. So they're saying we can only have X amount of people in a, in a building and that sort of thing, which is fine. My gut feel is that it will return to normal at some stage, but I think offices are going to have to look at, and, and by normal, I mean the normal that I expected to be the normal, not necessarily the normal that everybody's implied. So um, things like, like rotational workforces, I think are going to come, uh, become a thing. So people having to book their time in the office, so maybe reducing their space by 50% um, and having 50% of the workforce constantly on rotation. You've got people that always have to be there. Your receptionist can't answer the phone from home. It's just a thing. It's not possible. 
you know, your managing directors or, or CEO is always going to want the, uh, you know, need to be sort of um, contactable and things like that. But um, your sales staff, for example, if you've got 10 sales staff, why do you need 10 desks? You maybe only need three or four. Um, and let them rotate, let them decide which days they're actually in the office and which days they're not and move on from there. I think that, and, and what something I'd like to see is a bigger usage of co-working spaces. So for example, you get a, you get, if you've got 10 people that live in the same area. So, so let's take, I have a company in Joburg and um, that maybe also does work in Cape Town. Maybe all my Cape Town guys, um, happen to live in Seapoint, for example, so why can't they all be members of the same co-working facility in Seapoint where you give them a sort of um, a, you give them an allowance for a membership um, mm. where they can sort of work from there instead of getting a formalized office. Um, and they can then book their times around that and see clients in the interim and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and also locally, like in Joburg, I mean, just because your office is on the West Strand doesn't mean half your staff live there. You know, they might be having horrible commutes to and from the office. So why can't they be um, somewhere in the east, for example, the complete opposite end of town? Why can't they be members of a co-working facility there? So I think that sort of um, change will happen. I know recently here, Standard Bank took a lot of space in a co-working facility. So a, a co-working facility next to the main office. I stand corrected on the number, but I think it was 40 people that they had um, working in a co-working facility. So for them, it's like going to the office anyways. We had the same thing here when we uh, when we first I first started with with Hila, we had a, a co-working office and and it was a whole floors dedicated to you know large banks, large uh, oil companies, etc., where they didn't have to worry about you know fitting it out with the with the corporate mm. stuff. They could just pay for the space for a year. They could have the desks, and then once they got decided where they're going to put the people, they moved that office out and put them in a building that had been cleaned out. Um, now what's going to happen now I don't know but that was what they were doing is just to have the flex yeah um, which was pretty good the only thing that I found difficult with that co-working um, piece and it really depends on which one you end up with is that if you're looking if you're a traveller for example that Joburg Cape Town route or um, what I used to do used to be Joburg to Dubai you really wanted something that if you needed a, a, a meeting room or whatever it was, like with, with Regis, for example, you can you have the gold card and you could you basically walk into any Regis center in the world and you get one hour of a meeting room thrown in, I think, um, as part of your membership. Um, it's to have that little bit of flexibility too, depending on what your, your needs are. Well, yeah, I think companies are going to have to start adjusting their, their um, employees' um, remuneration to reflect that mm. kind of scenario anyways. Um, the other thing that I think they're going to have to do is they should be doing a bit of an analysis of the employees' living spaces and saying, okay, you are an employee that can work at home. You know, there's a lot of people that can't. That's, I mean, it may be different in London or New York or anywhere else. But, you know, in South Africa, we've got, we've got massive um, disparity in people's income and living situations. So you've got massive disparity. People earning the same salary don't necessarily have the same means. So, mm. so I think employees certainly here are going to have to look at their um, employees' living conditions and say, okay, well, you are a person that can work at home or no, you're not. And the people that can work at home, let them get set up. So help them, maybe give them an allowance to get them set up to be able to work at home and, you know, set them up with a reasonable desk. We're looking at some options um, of, you know, we've, we've had a desk design, in fact, that folds up into a bookshelf. So it literally, you you know, you're, if you lived in an apartment, you could quite easily have a, a functional working space that locks away 
um, at night, which also adds to the the security because that is a big concern with mm. um, people working at home is going to be the protection of private information. Um, you know, if you're an estate agent, for example, you take a lot of people's ID documents and things like that to do a, an application. Um, and estate agents invariably work at home. Now, there's a big risk that they lose a um, lose something along the way. You know, paper falls out in a parking lot somewhere or, you know, a somebody's visiting them at home and happens to see somebody else's personal information and, and steals it. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of risk. So I think companies are going to have to do a bit of um, investigation into that as well. How you protect people's information if people are going to be working remotely. And the same is 100% true if you're putting them in a co-working space. Mm. And then, right. You and I discussed it a couple of days ago as well. The um, internet security when you're working remotely, you're logging onto secure servers at an office is one thing. Um, if you constantly logging in at a coffee shop or whatever the case may be, it's, you know, how safe is that? No, you're absolutely right. I was just thinking about that again as you were saying that because you know the, even even though the, the the people here may have the means, a lot of guys live in small apartments, uh, especially if you live in in London. I mean, to buy a decent apartment, you're looking at over a million pounds, which is not necessarily attainable for most people. Um, so they don't actually have a working space. So what they would end up with is is sitting downstairs at the nearest Starbucks or or whichever brand they prefer. Um, and then it's so easy to sit next to someone and just watch what they're doing because most people don't wear screen, don't put screen protectors on their devices, and they sit on the public Wi-Fi and they don't use a VPN. Um, it's a, you know I want to say it's a paradise for a hacker, but it's not exactly hard work some of the times. So so the just going back to the allowance thing, have you have you had any sort of customers talking about doing that with their staff now? Um, we haven't. We I'm um, actually I've, I've partnered with another business here who does um, space planning and um, design and fit out of offices. And we're looking at, at soon, um, we're just trying to find the right angle um, at launching a product where we will go into businesses and do exactly that. I think any business that's not doing it will be foolish. I mean, I looked into it when I, years ago, I owned a property brokerage while well, I was a shareholder um, partner at a property brokerage. And at that time, which was probably six, seven years ago, somewhere around there, it cost us 10,000 Rand per employee per desk. So if you just take like some simple maths there, and for example, and, and a co-working facility per month um, in South Africa costs 3,000 Rand a month. That's for a pretty good sort of contract at a co-working facility. So if you take an employee, just without getting into complicated math, but if we make that assumption, if we, had, and each, each employee takes around 10 square meters of space. So, uh, between 10 and 20, depending on what your allowances are. So if you all of a sudden took 10, um, you know, took 10, took, uh, reduced your space by 10 square meters per employee, sent that employee to a co-working facility, you've, you're effectively saving 7,000 Rand. I mean, the math gets a lot more complicated because it's different per company, but that's the basic theory. That's already a saving. Yeah, well, you, I mean, you say you power, potentially cleaning staff, all those exactly. sort of things. There's, there's all those loadings that make a difference. Exactly. So it's rental. It's rental per square meter. It's the purchasing of that desk. It's the rental of the phone line. It's the um, teas and coffees, the cleaning staff that are needed to clean extra, and you know, and you just add it all together, and it costs about that. Obviously, it's mm. different per business, but that's what it cost us in that business. So if we employed the same theory and just said, guys, why don't we all just take the whole business to a co-working facility? 
we save 7,000 rand per employee. That, that, that kind of stuff makes sense to me. Well, especially if you're doing some sort of hot desking. I mean, when we were um, moving to hot desking here in the UK and in all the banks that I've worked with in, in real estate, you're looking at ratios of, of, you know, one to two people per desk initially, and then it's, then it's three to four. And then in some cases it's 10 to one. You are making so those the, savings, but you're not yeah, really helping so the, the workforce because you, you, you pushing them home, but you're not giving them the allowance for the yeah. equipment at home that they need. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the global allowance in a co-working space is 1.2 members per seat. That's the global average. Okay. We've done a, we've done a lot of research on this because we're busy working with, um, with quite a big sports club. The same one I bump into your parents at all the time. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. They we're busy looking at putting a co-working facility in there with a, um, um, and in extending the restaurant to be a little more sort of child friendly. Um, mm. but we, we're looking at like a geez, nearly 200 member co-working facility there, which will be based on lifestyle and, and all that sort of thing. It's actually going to be exquisite if we ever get out of this lockdown and can build it, you know, and the club doesn't lose money over this period of time and can't afford it. Um, which is the other problem. But in that research, that's what we found 1.2 members per, per seat. And, and, and the turnaround for a sports club is amazing because they end up paying rental and that sort of thing. And, and that, would that be tied to a major brand? So if you were or partnered at least, so if you were traveling, you could use your, your. Well, I'll tell you whether, I'll tell you what I would like to do. You know, that particular sports club has got reciprocity all over the world. Hmm. So what I would like to do is tie it to the sports clubs that they have reciprocity with. And this would be the first place we would test it. In which case, if you're a member of the sports club anywhere in the world, you could go into that. We have considered tying it up, but the reality is the, the brands here, I mean, you've got, you've got Regis, which has kind of changed its name, now Business Connection or something like that. Um, you've got WeWork. And then, mm -hmm. and then for us, it's largely localized. So we've mm. got one set, um, Workshop 17, for example, that has a number of them around South Africa where that's definitely an option. But I've been wanting to, for some time, potentially partner with a bank. Okay. Yeah. And, Makes sense. You know, and go to one of the banks and say, why don't you use this as a perk on your, on your better banking facilities? You know, your, your, your entry-level check card, don't worry about that. But your private, um, private clients... Um, why not offer them this sort of membership so that they can, you know, go in when, wherever and then open up your own one. So like the slow lounge in the airports, um, mm. you know, and they had, I don't know if you ever went to slow in the city in Santon, which is effectively no. the same thing. It was a business lounge, but in the middle of Santon, it's just outside the train station in Santon. And for me, that's a, that would be a great sort of um, uh, offering for the bank to say, I mean, I don't know what the banks in the rest of the world are doing, but yeah, surely it's, it's certainly it's, um, it, it is sort of who can offer the best perks. There's no loyalty anymore. You don't speak yeah. to your bank manager. Mm -hmm. So why stick with the bank that's just because you were there first? There, there's a very slow, I mean, you, you do have a little bit of competition, but there's not much movement. Um, and I'm just thinking now, if you have to have that that secure conversation, and you can go and you see your bar, your bank over there, and you walk in, and you can go sit in a private room for half an hour. That's part of your perks. I mean, I think that would be useful because there's definitely enough buildings around the city that that would help with that. Because yeah. that's often what you find. But I guess your challenge is sometimes the operating hours aren't going to be super, aren't going to be great. Um, but yeah, I can see where it would be potential. Well, imagine, imagine, you know, cause now banking is becoming an internet sort of, um, 
scenario, right? People don't really go into their branch anymore. So what happens if now, if now guys, uh, banks say we've got this huge commitment on, on physical real estate anyways, mm. we've got it. We can't just move out of these leases. If anybody can afford to pay their leases all the time, it's us as the bank, you would assume, right? But nobody's coming into these branches. So they're not turning over, you know, they're not making any money anymore. So why don't we offer, take these branches, which are invariably in good, good locations, good shopping centers, things like that. I mean, cause I think that's the next best thing. Co-working and shopping centers has got to be, you know, there's so yep. many big retailers closing down at the moment. What are you going to do with those spaces? There's no big retailers opening up. And I had this conversation with one of the listed companies the other day. I said to them, you know, especially with restaurants at the moment, I said, if you don't all take the, take a, a bath here, all of you, and I'm talking the restaurant and the owner, if they don't both take a bath, they're not opening up, opening up again. And I can tell you, there's not restaurants waiting. I mean, you would be a fool if you said straight after COVID, geez, all I want to do is open a restaurant. That, that market sentiment's not going to be great. So you're not going to, you don't have Oaks waiting in the wings to open them. And the same is true for the big guys that are closing down. Like in the States, you had Sears. I mean, here we've had, um, we, it looks like Edcon won't open up again. Those are big spaces. Those guys take up 5,000 odd squares at a time, you know, 12,000 mm. at a time. Um, you don't just have retailers lining up to fill those spaces. What do you do with them? You've got to do something. Offices aren't, aren't going to be sought after now either. So from a real estate point of view, what do you do? You, you've got to think creatively about your spaces. You're going to have to find best use scenarios. You're going to have to be sitting going, how can we use these spaces better? What else can they be used for? What are they zoned for? Look into the zonings and see where you can change them. You know, does this remain an office or can it be turned into, because I think the next big thing is going to be a co-living scenario, right? Where you kind of got like, almost like university dorms, um, you know, where you, you just, you rent a room and then all the rest of the facilities are shared. So there's big shared kitchens and, and things like that. So you've got a room with a fridge and you come out and cook in a lounge that's shared and um, maybe office spaces that you can book downstairs and that sort of thing. I think that's going to take off because space is going to be, you know, we can't afford space in most of the big cities anyways. Like you said, a million bucks for a, a million pounds for an apartment in London. That's unattainable for most wealthy people. Mm. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I know, you know, another thing um, from the webinar that sort of caught my attention was this idea of digital togetherness. You can talk about the the micromanagement component of wanting people to be in the office or like seeing work being done. But I think there's also this idea, too, that we kind of as a, as a species have a need to connect in person and how the and only operating digitally doesn't satisfy that. I think from a from a sort of not that I'm a neuroscientist, I've mentioned a lot of neuroscience things, but, you know, it's more from a from a reading point of view than an actual sort of look at me. I know my stuff. Um, but we do, we're a social, um, we're a social species. We need people. We have to be within with people. I read a study the other day that showed that children that get hugged more turn out more intelligent and we, we need that. And I think it's got to do with not necessarily that it increases their brain power, but they probably, they probably, they probably learn better um, because they're nurtured and cared for and socialized and that sort of thing. So yeah, we definitely need people. It's not, we can't, we can't go on just being a remote workforce. That's never going to work. Um, you know, that's why I mentioned earlier doing a rotational staff, um, you know, having, 
staff up to when they come into the office or not. Look, there's some people who happily just lock themselves in their house and never see the people they work with, but they're still going to want to see friends and family and things like that. I mean, we have to see people. It's just, mm. that is a, that is a non-negotiable. Um, I mean, think about the, what is the biggest punishment that you can possibly get for anything you've done on this planet? You do something really horrible. There's two punishments that they consider terrible. The first one is death, which we don't really do in this um, in most the civilized world. We don't just put people to death um, for transgressions. But the next one is solitary confinement. Yep. You really want to punish a person, take them away from people. And then we closed down the entire world and did that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we had uh, we we saw some friends over the weekend keeping our social distance. But uh, it was just just having them physically there to talk to. And catch up on. I mean, it's quite weird to see a mate that you don't get to, ha- you know, shake a hand or give a hug to, or, or whatever yeah. it is. But but that's that's the part that's missing right now. I think you're right. That's that solitary confinement that feeling. Um, it's 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 not a good one. Uh, we we need we need interactive situations. But I do wonder with this the shift working thing, uh, and I think someone else mentioned it as well. You, you know, you end up with with people only seeing the same people all the time. So you have to have some sort of randomization in there as well. So, yeah, I'm not suggesting that you tell people what their shift is. Mm. I'm suggesting you say to people, guys, when you come into the office, you're going to have to book a space. So plan Mm. your meetings and, and, and around, you know, seeing this person, seeing that person, when you need to be in the office, book your space for the day. So it's going to self randomize in the fact that people aren't just going to always have the same meetings with the same person. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not suggesting say, okay, Bob, you and Sue can work from five till seven. Then from seven to eight, we're going to have Janine and mm-hmm. Keith and, you know, and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm suggesting saying, guys, we don't have space in our office for a hundred percent of you. Only 50% of the company can be here at a time. So book your spaces accordingly. If we get to a point where that's not working and we need to take on more space then we will or we relook at, at how we do that or we relook at how meetings are had, you know, maybe then we, maybe then we say, guys, okay, certain meetings will only happen digitally. Um, but you know, cause realistically the, a, a 20 seater boardroom at the moment has become a 10 seater. So what do you do if you need a 20 seater, a meeting for 20 people? Well, you've got no choice now. You can't go sit in that room. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, we, we had a thing um, where, because we, we moved to flexible working and you weren't supposed to sit at the same desk every day. Uh, that was a theory, at least, although people do become quite territorial. Yeah. Um, when you come in and you book your desk and then people know where you are based on that day and they can sort of search you and then there's um, there's a desktop notification that tells you, you know, if I'm looking for Ryan's desk, it'll say, oh, he's in building five today, floor one uh, yeah. desk, whatever it is. Um but I think you, that almost needs to get a little bit more mature to, to the point that says everyone has the same app on their phone saying, I need to go to the office this week. Is there space for that? And it's, it's got to be real time because if there's a space opening up, then they know they can go if, there's, if, it's, if it's fully booked and stuff. Yeah. Um, but also I need to see, you know, Joe Schmo and whoever it is, are they going to be in the office? Because they almost will plan you know, it's that network of, well, I need to see these guys. Are they in the office? Are they there on Tuesday? Okay. I'll come in on Tuesday. I'll get 50% of my face to face meetings done. And I'll come back on Friday because that's the other 50% or, you know, very, very simplistic. Um, but it's the same also going to the shops. You know, if if I'm going to go past the local 
shops or supermarket. I want to know if it's how empty or full it is because it's almost ways for shopping. Um, well, what could happen in retail is they say you only allowed X amount of people in a store at a time. So now retailers might be forced to increase the size of their footprint. You know, if you only allowed X amount of people per square meter, hmm. you want to, you want to achieve the same numbers. You're going to have to increase your store sizes and you can't afford to pay more rental because you're not making more income um, than you were before. So landlords are going to have to take a hit for the first time in history. I'd say property is not necessarily a great place to have your money. No, but I think, I think what you mentioned about humans needing humans, I think that's always going to drive it. Um, and as much as, as much as we found that working for remotely works for most people, there's still that need to have face to face time. I still think people climb on airplanes and go and see, you know, colleagues in other countries and they may do it less now because, you know, companies may not have the cash flow or, or it's been proved that you don't need to, but I still think you need that for, if you haven't met someone before and you, and you, you can, you have the ability to go and see them face to face first. You can do all your other meetings over video and, and, and voice. Of course. Definitely. So, is there anywhere that you want to be connected to LinkedIn or, or something like that, that people can follow up with you directly or would you want to come through us? Um, I'm happy for people to come through you. It's not a, not a train smash in my life. I mean, you and I have known each other long enough. Fair enough. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much. Yeah, but thank you. Thank you. Th- it's nice to meet you uh, in this sort of very disjointed way, actually. When I, all I've got is a, a screen that says HB. Yeah. <laughs> Just a set of initials. Yeah, and I'm in the US Absolutely. too, so we're all spread all, spread all over the globe, which is pretty cool, actually. Cool. Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the things I spoke about, right? The fact that our, our other boundaries in terms of who we can do business with is no longer no longer based on our physical geography, but more our time zones. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother conversation and a whole nother thing to be developed on at some mm-hmm. stage. Exactly. Super. Cool. All right. Nice. Keep well. Thank you. Cheers. Shot. Cheers. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.